We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people, the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Barris SAGE Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we're doing another installment of Memorable Mentors, this one on Leonard Reed. Ed, welcome. Hey, Ron, how are you? You know, I... It, it has been, I think, 16 days since you and I actually spoke to one another. I know. Well, you've been on vacation, right? Uh-huh. It, it was with Sage Summit in Toronto. We came back, and we had, here's the confession, we had pre-recorded that show, the, the uh, Free Rider Friday the week before, so we didn't talk that Friday. And then, as you said, I was on vacation the previous week, so... Here we are back, and uh, I, I think it's very, it's very possibly one of the, the longest stretches you and I have gone without speaking to one another. <laughs> it is. It does feel weird, <laughs> especially since, by the way, happy 150th show. I know, right? I mean, that just kind of slipped under the radar there because it was the show that we did from Toronto. But yeah, our sesquicentennial show. And our third year anniversary as of July 4th on the Voice America. Correct, correct. So some major milestones there, and uh, of course, as you mentioned before, we we got on the air here. I was in it was in the neutral zone, yeah. uh, <laughs> on vacation. Uh, for those of you, that's a, a reference to our our passion for the man in the high castle, and uh, oh, I was in Colorado. It's it surpassed. Uh, it's an obsession. <laughs> yeah, you are kind of obsessed with it, I'm I have to say. Like, I, every I, time I do talk to you, it's like, there, there's always a reference now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of like you and Hamilton, same uh-huh. type of thing. Um, and, and I have to say, my dad has become obsessed with this. He actually binged on the second season in one day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he watched all 10 episodes, you know, from like, he got home from church, he said, and at like <laughs> 1 o'clock, and just stayed up till 3 a.m., and he kept saying, well, I just want to see what happens. Let's just see, and he just kept going, he just kept going, and and Ed, he's reading the book. Is he now? Okay. And, and, and I'm, I'm, that's something I don't want to do until, you know, this, this series runs its course, but... So the only the only question I asked them about the book because I'm starting to learn there's a lot a lot of differences between the book and the series. Yes, and I just wanted to know if the book was well written because he reads a lot of fiction and you mm-hmm. know he appreciates good writing and he said yeah the book is very well written. Oh good well that that is good to know something to look forward to and I'm sure the word Obergrobenfuhrer is in there which you know that's kind of like. <laughs> We're going to change fellows at uh, at, at yeah. the Veris Age Institute to Obergruppenführer. <laughs> Who's Oberst Group? <laughs> 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 oh, oh, it's too much. It's too much. Um, that's the other thing that's really exciting is the Art of Value uh, conference coming up and the Veris Age conference in November. We finally have our website page up for that, don't we? We do, we do. Uh, I think the soul of enterprise.com slash 
Symposium, I believe, is the the website, but we'll we'll make sure to put it in the show notes. Uh, you can certainly just send an email to ask tsoe at verisage dot com, and and Ron and I will get you connected for that. There is a price associated with both of those events, but we want to just uh, re- sign up now because there are the early bird pricing expires the end of July, so right. now would be the time, folks. Yeah, please email us if you have any questions or want more information about the event, and we'll get a link to it in the show notes as well. Yep, yep. So, so Ed, we were going over the Foundation for Economic book, another free ebook uh, uh-huh. on Leonard Edward Reed. What What fascinates me, I'm always fascinated by people who are born in the 1800s, right? This guy was born in 1898. Right. And died in 1983, so... Uh, he saw a lot of changes. Clearly, clearly, um, and he makes mention of that in one of the essays too. Yeah, he and he was a really interesting guy. He wrote twenty nine books, um, probably most famous for his classic essay "I Pencil," which we ended up discussing on episode number four mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when we did the economy in mind, and he. Um, he, uh, him and Henry Hazlitt founded the Foundation for Economic Education in 1946. And in 1950, Reed took over the Freeman, which was the publication, uh, free market uh, publication. And it was the forerunner um, to the Conservative National Review, mm-hmm. which was founded by William F. Buckley in 1955. Reed actually did contribute to National Review as well. Mm-hmm. And the Freeman was started in the 1920s by Albert J. Nock, and who was a William F. Buckley family friend, I think friend of his father first, uh, mm-hmm. but somebody who greatly influenced uh, William Buckley was Albert J. Nock. So kind of an interesting history there. But when Reed took over the Freeman, um, he, he really made it emphasize economics that they talked about some other things, but that was really the main emphasis because it was all about economic education. And I have to say it is, it, it's no longer in print because now it's all digital. Right. Um, but that was my all time favorite publication. I mean, when that thing came, I devoured it and I learned a ton from that publication. Even above your national review. In terms of economics, yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And what I did not realize is that that the Freeman was not a started by the Foundation for Economic Education. Actually, it was a precursor to it, and then was subsumed into the Foundation for Economic Education when they were struggling with the magazine. And and what they did was they they you know as all good organizations do, they look for for things that are. Uh, tied together and said, hey, the best way to keep this magazine alive is to make it a benefit to our members. And therefore, I think then made it something that was available to to members of the foundation and therefore kept the magazine going, which is a great idea. And and I remember back when it was printed, you could just, you know, write to them and they'd send it to you. And you didn't have to pay them anything. You didn't have to be a contributor. They would just send it to you. Interesting. I mean, yeah. yeah it was, they were, he was really devoted to the education uh, and I know he, he talks about that in one of the essays, so we can we can discuss that more. Is 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 economic education enough? He didn't believe it was, right? But you know, he spent his life kind of engaged in that. 
Yep. And, and the one thing that I also wanted to bring up from his biography, Ron, that, that I know you are aware of, but I think that there's a, a lot of mis, mistaken thoughts about out there, is that he was a member of the Mount Pelerin Society. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, every time, and even in libertarian circles, that's sort of talked about like it, almost like uh, in, in in conservative circles, what's, what's that, uh, the, the trilateral commission, right. uh, you, you know, it, I mean, it's, it seems like it's this highly secretive society and skull and, and bones. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and when you start to dig into the Mount Pelerin Society, you're like, no, not quite so much. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean, Hayek formed that just to get free market people together that were like-minded, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. it, it had a pretty broad spectrum of people. I mean, I know John Stossel and Walter Williams have, have attended some of the more recent ones. Yeah, I, I'd love I'm, to go. I'd love to I go. I know, and... And if I'm if I'm reading this right, and this is this is actually on the on a Wikipedia page, so I'm just assuming that this is correct. But get ready for the the uh, the revenue for the Mount Parallel Society for 2015. Mm. Ready, $165,881. Wow. <laughs> so this is this is not exactly your trilateral commission. Uh, yeah. Council you know, of Foreign Relations. Council on Foreign Relations. <laughs> big big money boys, you know. <laughs> well, and, and this I is just thought, a bunch of guys who like to talk about these ideas getting together. Sounds like a Verisage symposium. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the FEE was, I know, on a shoestring. I mean, National Review has never made a dime. Uh, mm-hmm. Buckley used to joke, you know, that his stock in it was not worth the continent a continental dollar. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, you know, none of these things make money. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. I, I, so anyway, I just wanted to, to describe that because there is, I think, a certain amount of mystique around that. Other than and other than to say, like you, I would love to attend. So if there is anyone out there who does listen to the show who's part of the Mount Parallel Society, Ron and I would sure like an invite. So yeah, that'd be awesome. And uh, of course, I think our next book in this series, that isn't it, is Henry Hazlitt. Correct. Who Correct. co-founded the FEE with uh, with Reed? So that that'll be good too, because he he was he was quite a, he was quite a guy. He really, uh, I think, educated a lot of people with especially with his book Economics in One Lesson. Exactly, exactly. So, well, let's talk a little bit about this Re- Leonard Reed stuff, and maybe we'll just quickly. We we are only got about three minutes to the break, and since we did deal with iPencil in a previous episode, we can certainly refer people to that. Yeah. And then maybe concentrate on some of the other things. So g- give give your highlights of iPencil. I just, I, you know, this the G the G K Chesterton quote: "We are perishing for want of wonder, not for want of wonders." I I, I know we've talked about this a lot, even somewhat on this show, but I'm just absolutely amazed that no matter where we go, you know, we can get whatever we want, mm-hmm. and, and and we don't have to give it a thought. I mean, it's not even in our mind, and not not only are we swimming in this big sea of trust, but even just beyond that, just the distribution of how you know how do I get a bagel with cream cheese in the middle of New York at two a.m. in the morning? I mean, I do. I'm amazed by that, mm-hmm. and and I know a lot of people aren't, and I continue to be amazed by that, and I continue to be amazed by people who aren't amazed by that. I mean, it's a little bit like the Louis C.K. video where you know he's he's talking about people flying on airplanes and complaining, 
right? And you about know, the Wi-Fi says, being too slow. Yeah, the Wi-Fi being the chair doesn't go back. You know, he's like everybody should every airship should go. Oh my God! Wow! <laughs> you're was it? You're sitting in a chair in the sky, right? Thousand feet. <laughs> right. And I think this. I think the same thing is true whenever I go into a Target or a, any kind of supermarket. This is oh my God! Wow! How how is this possible that all this is potentially available to me at 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 the prices that it's really available? I mean, you know, kumquats from gosh knows where in South America. I mean, coconuts. We got. I can also walk down the 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 aisle of you know. I don't know if your grocery store. I'm sure it does. Has the aisle of foreign foods now. You know, and there's like a a, a shelf of stuff. Right, this is from England. This is from Mexico. This is from Italy. You know. We get stuff from, you know, and, and uh, I just heard a show about is Amazon evil because, well, remember when the big threat was Walmart, you know, knocking out all the mom and pop stores. Of course, now it's Amazon's threatening Walmart and it's because their prices are so low. And one guy actually wrote a big blog post about how we should have to pay full price for things because we'd appreciate it more. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, wow. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, I, so that, and of course I pencil, I think is just such a classic and, and, and so well done. Just this idea that, you know, there's not a single person that knows how to make me a simple pencil. Um, but then when you start extrapolating, extrapolating that to other things, like if you look at a 747, Mm -hmm. it's got four and a half million parts in it. Well, not one person could make one of those parts either. And yet this whole complex thing is brought together and done and, you know, we get on these things all the time and we don't give it a second thought. And I, I, I'm in awe of it. I think Hayek's word marvel is, is right. It's a marvel. Yeah. I, I agree. And then, you know, the, the, there's the great example that I think Matt Ridley gives in his book uh, where, where he talks about the, the hand axe and the, and the computer mouse. Right. Look almost exactly the same. But yet, you know, one person could make a hand axe. And became expert at it, but there's not one person who could make a computer mouse, or like you said, even there's probably not even one person who could craft a single part of a computer mouse. Right, right. Well, Ed, this is great. We'll get more into Leonard Reed's book. And folks, in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. We will post full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. 
Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Left and right are each descriptive of authoritarian positions. Liberty has no horizontal relationship to authoritarianism. Libertarianism's relationship to authoritarianism is vertical. It's up from the muck of men enslaving men. But let's begin at the beginning. So opens, Ron, or nearly opens, the essay that's second in this little book from the Foundation from Economic Education, summarizing the great Leonard Reed's works, on neither left nor right. And I was very much reminded in this essay and to some degree in others, but mostly in this one, of the uh, of the connection to Jonah Goldberg's great book, Liberal Fascism. Mm-hmm. Yep. That the notion that uh, that this this whole idea of left and right are first of all have gone through so many different possible paradigms and what they actually meant. Of course, the the original meeting goes back to the French Assembly where. Those that were uh, in favor of one position sat on the left, and the others were on the right. And I think even to this to this day, th- those are not in alignment. With what we would even consider left and right at this point, there were other uh, other other issues at stake, right? Um, yep. So so that 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 that's changed. But that's where the origin of the term comes from. Is that in the French Assembly, the you know like minded individuals on on some ideas sat on the left, others sat on the right of the assembly. And then that, that's the, that's where the terms just just caught on. Um, I you know it, it's it's clear that what what this is is setting up this notion of a dichotomy. But I, what I really like about this, and and you know I've heard this in many many other circles, is that this kind of thinking, uh, this left right is what you know what leads us to think that Democrats are on the left and Republicans are on the right. When the reality is, in, in my view anyway, they're they're both just just, just forms of of statism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so the 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 Democrats want to impose impose their ideas on the rest of us, and the Republicans want to impose their ideas on the rest of us, and really, it's just a question of you know wh- which ideas they want to impose, right? Yep. I- <laughs> uh, and what Reed is saying here is that no, 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 we have to that, that's we have to look at this as slightly different from a slightly different position and say it's about the difference between totalitarianism or authoritarianism, as he calls it, and really what it, what it means to be free. And he has a very interesting definition of, of this notion of freedom where he says, this, look, it's your right to do anything, anything you really want as long as it's – and his, this is his words – as long as it's peaceful. Right. Yep, I, I like how he talked about this whole left-right distinction being a semantic graveyard 
for libertarians. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I, I know he's not thrilled with the term libertarian, but you know, for now he says I'll I'll stick with it and proudly call myself a libertarian. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting, but yeah, I you know I and it, I didn't go back. I should have looked at this, but. Reagan made a reference to this, I think, in one of his speeches. In fact, I think it was the speech that he made for Goldwater's nomination, mm-hmm. where he said the choice isn't between left and right, it's between up and down. You right. Know? And he was talking about tyranny and, and freedom. And, and so, yeah, this is a constant theme. But, yeah, you're right. It did to bring up, in, uh, in my mind as well, Jonah Goldberg's book, too. Right, which is a terrific book, and I wouldn't be surprised if I went back and like that and found that he, that Leonard Reed was quoted in there. I'm, I'm would would not be too surprised. But I, I what I do like is where this leads him next, which is to say that you know the, the, then there are you know the people in the quote middle, and this is uh, again that 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 term is misleading because now you're into this whole left right paradigm thing. Right. Yep. So you've got this. All right. So the people in the middle, as he call, he calls it, the golden mean theory. Mm-hmm. Right. And he says, but you can't really apply this indiscriminately. Right. It's not you, you, there's no there's no it's not it, it or it, he says it is sound enough when deciding deciding between no food on the one hand uh, and gluttony on the other. Right. OK, so we get that. That's the mean. Right. And this he, this is, goes back to Plato. Right. Um uh, where you're you're talking about you're always trying to hit the mean right the golden mean uh, moderation right moderation and everything yeah it says but it doesn't make any sense when you're trying to decide between stealing nothing or stealing a thousand dollars right yeah. so you can go well if I only steal five hundred then that must be good yep yep <laughs> right. <laughs> and I do like I do like that notion that he lays out, and then I, which led me to this question. And I, we've probably talked a little bit about this, but I want to get you on the record. So, Ron, is taxation theft? No, and I, I mean I don't think it is. But he, here's the thing: I have an I have a reason interview with Leonard Reed in front of me, and it goes on okay. for pages. It's long, and they ask him that. Okay. Um. And you're going to have to give me a minute to figure it out. Maybe we can bring this back after the next break. But um, but what I did find interesting about this interview is they talked to him and he says he's one of the guys who popularized the word libertarian. I mean, really gave it currency around the world through his publication and his foundation. Right. Right. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll wrap this up and we'll move on to the next essay and perhaps we can come back to that. But I, I do like like this quote from the very end of the essay. It says, there's no halfway position between zero and infinity. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. You, zero plus infinity divided by two isn't half infinity. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the third, and there's 12 essays in this book, folks, and they're relatively short. So it's pretty, again, just typical with all these FEE books. It's pretty, uh, pretty short read. But the third essay is called A Break with Prevailing Faith. Yes. What I thought was interesting about this, Ed, was when uh, a woman who donated the Free Man magazine to a high school library and was talking to the librarian who, who got rid of it. And, and when she asked why, she said, well, it's just too conservative for a high school. <laughs> love it i mm. thought that was pretty good but 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 then he said this in this and this is the most intriguing thing for in in this chapter for me he said there's no such thing as a broken commitment 
a man has a commitment to his own conscience. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting interesting thing. And he, he thinks man's earthly purpose is to expand their own conscience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this, this essay struck home with me as well. The prevailing faith that he's talking about is the, you know, is, is the faith in the state, Right. Right, and he says that that, that right now there there is just there there's a, an amazing amount of faith in the state, and it's no different from the the, the faith in in the church or the faith in um, a heel, um, uh, uh, not heliocentric. That's the sun. What's the other one? Terracentric, um, terracentric ter- belief. You know that the earth the earth is the center of the universe, and that everything moves around the the sun, and and that was that was taken on faith. And it was taught as faith, and then Galileo and Copernicus, and like, ah, nope, we've got like actual scientific evidence that it's not. Uh, yet the prevailing faith lasted for you know several hundred years before the church goes. Well, maybe maybe that Galileo was right. Maybe <laughs> we really made a mistake there. Right. But uh, and he 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 equates that to the faith in in the national state today, which. Which scares me. It's but and it's very true. By the way, I think it's very true. I think there there are people. Well, it, there, we we there must there must have to be a central government. There just has to be, because sure. because people can't imagine any other position. Well, you asked about the taxation, and I found it. He said oh, okay. he he wrote a book in 1954, uh, but, but I don't have the title of it. But he said I said that tax to support a principled government. A government limited to where it should be limited, that tax is appropriate. But when there's a tax for the unprincipled activities of the government, that's robbery. But there is a way to draw that line, and I do it in the book. Mm. Okay. So well, I'll have, draw to, that I'll have to investigate that out. So, because uh, that that was immediately my first question, right? Was well, how 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 do you define principled? <laughs> right. <laughs> he goes on to talk about. Of course, they ask him about Ayn Rand. Uh, who he knew, um, but and he had his disagreements with her as well. Which Didn't everybody? Su- yeah, surprise, surprise. Everybody. Yeah, he also said that she's one of the most brilliant women he's ever met in his life. I mean, everybody says that too. But so. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, well, the ne- the next essay I know you had to love. This, the socialism is non-creative. First of all, I like that word non-creative. So you had to you had to be all over this one. I, I did because you know what what killed me about this? I just love the the Mises quote that he gives. Uh-huh. Where Mises says production is spiritual. What yep. distinguishes our conditions from those of our ancestors who lived twenty thousand years ago is not something material, but something spiritual. Material changes are the outcome of the spiritual changes. That sounds like the soul of enterprise, Ed. It does sound like the soul of enterprise. And it's funny, I made the same same note on, on that quote. Like, wow, this, that could be the foundation for a radio show. Yeah, that could, that could be that could be a tagline for this show. The other thing I love that he says is, socialism is operative only in wealth situations brought about by modes of production other than its own. Right, <laughs> and, and he talks about how Russians wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for the fact that they practice capitalism. And you know, I'm sure you're well aware of that, those statistics that of the old USSR. You know, the three to five percent of private land, mm-hmm. but then you looked at the production of what it produced because they could keep it and sell it and all of that, and it produced like forty-seven percent of the meat and 
50% of the eggs, and it just goes on and on on 3 or 5% of the land. Yep. You know, the collective farms are failing, and, and everybody's, you know, home tilling their private land because they get to keep the proceeds, so. Yeah, I, I really like how he... Uh, he, he clearly says that socialism redistributes, but is uh, incapable of creating wealth. But then I, I really like this, that socializing the means of production and socializing the results of production, which is a, a great distinction. I never heard it put that way, right? Means of production, pretty right. simple. State owns everything. But socializing the results of production, results. which is the you know confiscat- uh, confiscatory taxation. The right? redistribution. Re- yep. Redistribution. They're inseparable because the state controls the production is going to control the distribution of what is produced. And the state that distributes the product must eventually control production, right? Yep. And and I think that that's, that's great. And then the last part here before we take a break is uh, and, uh, his, his indictment, he mentions, has two parts. And I think that these are, are just brilliant insights. Number one, there has to be wealth before wealth can be socialized. Yep. Right? And two, socialism cannot create wealth in the first place. So, therefore, socialism is invalid on its face, period, end of story, <laughs> Uh, quo erratum, or what is it? QED, quo erratum demonstratum, <laughs> that which has been to be decided, right? You've probably seen the book. Somebody's been posting it on Facebook. It's on Amazon Australia, I believe. It's, it's called something like Why Socialism Works. Yeah. And and it's two. it's got two words in the whole book. It's, it doesn't. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, Ron, we're up up against our break. Want to remind you that the soul of enterprise.com is the website. You can go out there and review show notes and also previews of upcoming shows, as well as the archive page with all 151 of our previous episodes that are out there for your listening pleasure. I want to remind you that again, we do have our event coming up in Allen just outside of Dallas, Texas. Uh, and we, we hope that you will, uh, will will attend that with us. You need to, need to get signed up quickly because the, the, the early bird pricing on that expires on July 31st. But right now, a word from our sponsor. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 
888-346-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here doing Memorable Mentors on Leonard Reed in the Foundation for Economic Education book. Uh, and let's see, I mentioned the book that he talked about, Ed, where he makes the argument that not all tax is theft. Uh, that book, just for the record, is called Government, an Ideal Concept. And okay. it was published in 1954, and apparently that's where he draws this distinction between principled government services and unprincipled and, and all that. I haven't read the book, so I, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with his argument, but he, they, Reason Magazine certainly asked them that. <laughs> if you call okay. It all taxation was theft. Um, the fifth essay, he talked about how socialism harms the individual. And the only thing that struck me about that was he, he's got a line in here. Does anyone ever benefit from the removal of self-responsibility? And uh, I'd have to say, no, I, I can't think of anybody who's ever benefited from that. So uh, I, I thought that was a pretty good point. Then he talked about in the sixth essay how socialism harms the economy and in this one I did find interesting because he talked about the interdependence of the economy and how we're all inter- interdependent on each other, right? We can't grow our own food, fix our own car, those types of things. So the more an economy grows, and he says, but that makes us specialized, obviously. But he, th- he asked the question, are we dangerously interdependent? And he says, I believe we are. And, and here's why. He said, because much specialization is government-forced and artificial. In other words, he called it unnatural specialization because its origin is not in consenting trade. And his, his exhibit A is the Moon Project. He said, so you have all these people on the Moon Project, you know, figuring out how to land a television safely on the Moon or whatever. <laughs> and he said, yeah, they're getting paid. They're fig- and they're smart people. They're doing this work. They're going to work every day. He said, but, you know, nobody would pay for this on their own. And he thought that that was a dangerous part of specialization. We got Tang, Ron. We got Tang. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I know. A lot of people would say drugs and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, on Dar- DARPAnet. That's that's the, 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 the argument that, that makes me the most crazy. No, the government invented the Internet. Yeah, and they did a great job democratizing it. They probably kept it. They probably kept it at bay for twenty years past. You know what they should have. Yeah, government officials and uh, and 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 people in academics trading porn, porn, pornographic pictures with one another for twenty years and not telling anybody about it. Basically, what was going on there. Yeah. Oh. Now, 
at the seventh chapter, you had to have loved the most important discovery in economics. Yes. Uh, but, but I also liked how he set this up. He, and, and this is kind of his philosophy with respect to life. It's that he, he quotes Socrates, the man, this man thinks he knows something when he does not, whereas mm-hmm. I, as I do not know anything, do not think I do either. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, you know, yeah, he's absolutely right that, you know, it, it's not, it, we're, man is not really knowledgeable. We're teachable, but we're not mm-hmm. really knowledgeable. And, he, and yes. he really did have that philosophy. Yes. And I actually did like the, the quote that comes just before that, where he, where he, twi- he has the twist on the, the Bible informs us the meek shall inherit the earth. And his his definition of meek is not about Mr. Milktoast, but he says rather to the teachable, right? Those who aspire to even greater understanding uh, and awareness of how little they know. In fact, I, I did look up the word meek because I wanted to get a you know we we I think part of the the problem, Ron, is that there's that, that you know that's that that simile you know meek as a what, Ron? Meek, meek. as a as a as a mouse. Oh, right? as a mouse. Right, right, right. Sure. Meek as a mouse. Right. And we we have the this this b- belief that that's what meek is, but it it doesn't originally not, did not mean that, right? It's more about being uh, quiet and uh, gentle and genteel, and it comes from a Middle English word that had had the sense of being courteous and uh, in, indulgent, right? Uh, so allowing others to state their peace, right? Mm. Rather than um, something that was, you know, not a, in other words, not a doormat that people walk all over. That is not, that is not what is meant uh, by, by meek. That is what the, the word has come to mean. But it would, when, it, when it's in its original form, especially, I, I think, as it's translated into English in the Bible, the meek shall inherit the earth doesn't mean those who just sit there and are doormats are going to inherit the earth. That's not what it means at all. Right, right. Gotcha. He also talks in this essay about the ego, the egotist, you know, gives many examples, Hitler, Stalin, and then quotes, quotes, uh, HG Wells. He says, uh, basically a highbrow is a lowbrow plus pretentiousness. Yeah. I love that quote. That was I thought, yeah. I thought that was really good. But of course the most important discovery in economics, the subjective theory of value. There you go. Absolutely. You Greatest. Go. Disco- and, and I loved how he brought, he talked about the labor theory he said, and, you know, when we talk about the sentimental and the poor, hardworking farmers, and that set the political stage for agricultural subsidies, I thought that was a really good point, too. Yeah, because, was, because they work hard, you know, they obviously uh, are worth more and they deserve subsidies. So, yeah, which which leads right into the next essay, which is the greatest computer on Earth, which it, it, they are. This is really two different essays, I think, with the same theme. Right, yep. where he talks about the the greatest computer on earth is is the the unencumbered price system, right, and that it figures out all of this stuff, and he says that it's free, but the, the but the the free is uh, b- because it it frees us to be able to not have to think about it. That's that's what he he where he goes with the free and free market, right? Yep. And I do really like this analogy to to explain this. I think this makes a, a lot of sense. And this is very similar to the argument that that uh, that you sometimes make with the you know, plunging your ruler into a turkey on Thanksgiving. It's the wrong measurement. This this is a, a the complementary argument to that. And he says, suppose you were in charge of a boiler room, supplying seventy degree climate to a factory, 
and that you adjusted the heat supply by a, by, by a thermo, uh, thermometer signals. Now, imagine that someone changes the calibrations so that an actual 70-degree temperature now registers 80 on the distor- distorted scale. Right? It says there would soon be a shortage of heat in the factory. Mm-hmm. Or if the actual 70 degrees was made to register at 60 degrees, you would send the factory a surplus of heat. Monkeying with the thermometer, rigging it, is, uh, as it is called, creates shortages or surpluses. And, you know, checkmate, end of argument for everything from, uh, <laughs> su- you know, corporate welfare subsidies, sugar, corn, uh, the, the minimum wage, checkmate. Done. Rent control. <laughs> Rent yep. control. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I loved how he talked about the whole, you know, computers can't exercise judgment. The whole guy go, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Right. And, uh, yeah, no, that was, you're right. And those two, and those two essays do go together. The next one I thought was pretty interesting. He talked about the service motive. Yes. And that whole thing was just, you know, he, he was actually profiling the founder. I believe it's Panasonic. And, um, Matsushita. Yeah. And, and he was focused on service rather than profitability. And of course that's been a theme on our shows on entrepreneur or heaven, where we talked about, you know, whether it was Edison or Ford or, you know, any of these, uh, these gentlemen who started these businesses, they were all focused on the customer. They weren't, they weren't there to make a profit. They were there to deliver a service and create something so good that people willingly paid them a profit you know, in recognition of what they were doing for them. And I, I thought he did a really good job hammering that point home. Yep, and, yep. The great then, quote in there is this notion that that profitability is the true measure of management efficiency as an economic term, folks. Don't get all wrapped around that axle. Uh, where he and then he, but but he forbade the pursuit of profit as the motivation. So this this goes back to the whole Simon Sinek start with why, you know, it, the the whole the whole notion that it's not it's not your the you don't wake up every morning thinking that you've got to produce red blood cells because red blood cells are not what you the reason you get up, but if with them you die same thing with profit in a business uh, it's not the reason you reason you work is not for a profit it's something else that just happens to be the result right and then of course the 10th essay talks about why freedom works its wonders and and this is a constant theme too it's because of what we don't know right, right? and i just i kind of love that it's like kind of like just entering the world through your ignorance right we can do all these things without knowing about them. And I guess that's how civilization progresses. That's maybe why people don't look around like we do in wonder about how we can step on a plane and be on the other side of the you know continent in less than a day or whatever. But um, you know, without that, without that wonder and without that just, hey, I have to recognize that I can't do everything. Um, you know, he thinks that's that's what makes freedom great. Right, and I do. I really do love the analogy that he draws here. If anything, Leonard Reed is a master of analogies. I wouldn't put him up there with Bastiat, but, uh, but, but, but he, but he, he does have some really good thoughts. And the the one th- thing that he uses here, he says, okay, imagine all all of knowledge. Uh, be, being a blackboard with no boundaries, right? An infinitely large blackboard, right? And he says, "Okay, now draw a circle the the size of a you know an old silver do- dollar in the in the middle of it to to symbolize the amount of knowledge that you've achieved, right? So that right. was say say that was ten years ago. He says, now draw a circle five feet in diameter to, to to symbolize how much you understand today. That's great growth, 
right? But take note of the fact that the circumference actually exposes you to more darkness, right? Um, the unknown now is nearly 100 times than that of a decade ago. And the more, more growth in, in knowledge, the, the nearer one comes to a realization that he knows nothing. Yeah, yeah. That whole ignorance thing has always fascinated me. In fact, I think that's the book that Drucker wanted to write. Wasn't one so much on knowledge, but one on our ignorance, right? <laughs> There's and, much more of it to write about. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And I know we've only got a couple minutes, Ed, but the last essay is pretty interesting as well. It's called In Pursuit of Excellence, where he basically says, you know, economic education is not enough, which is kind of ironic coming from a guy who, you know, formed a foundation to do just that. But he thought that virtue, vir- virtue and morals were far more important. Um, and, you know, he says, we don't want to live under a, cat- a catastocracy, a government by the worst men. We want a natural aristocracy founded on virtue and talents. And he also, you know, referring back to his pencil essay, he says, if no one person can make a pencil, can anyone design or draft a good society? And I thought that was a really interesting question. I mean, I guess I would say I'd point to the Constitution, maybe, as an example. Right, which, again, is a limitation, right? Yes. Which sets the limits. It's it's an inverse. Right, right. It's not a creation of government. It's a limitation on it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, but I, I thought that was just a really good point that, you know, we can, we kind of all get all hung up on the economics and all oh, we need to push back the, you know, the boundaries of ignorance and all of this. And uh, it's not as simple as that. Maybe that's uh, why all these think tanks haven't, uh, haven't really moved the needle that far on, on a lot of these issues. Well, it's it's just a great point, right? This notion that if nobody can create a pencil, how is it that we think we can collectively come together and put our trust in, you know, 535 individuals in Washington D.C. to create something that for, that will work for the as complicated and complex as a government? So. Right, right. That's a real scary thought. Well, folks, we're up against it. If you want to email Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. Really appreciate those iTunes reviews. Keep them coming in. And as well as your emails, we will uh, we will deal with a couple of those, Ed, in the last segment. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise Welcome back, everybody. We're here doing memorable mentors. I'm Leonard Reed, and I just we want to take a couple of minutes and give a shout out to Vare Ellison, I believe, from Canada. Ed, he sent us uh, an article out of the Washington Post in response. Hysterical. It really was. It was in response to our memorable mentor episode on Frederick Bostiet. The title of this article, folks, is "Forget Robots: The Goats Are Coming for Our Jobs." <laughs> <laughs> and it talked about how goat rentals are all the rage in landscaping because they can clear weeds, you know, where humans have a hard time reaching and they're gentler on the vir- environment. And, of course, that begs the question, well, then just how many, you know, jobs are at risk from goats? <laughs> and, the, and the writer of this article, Christopher Ingr- Ingram, uh, he, he did some back-of-the-envelope calculations. He said, you know, that are good enough for a Friday in a bar drinking a beer. He said, but if one person with one tractor can clear 18 acres in one day, it takes 10 goats 30 days to clear an acre. Um, so one month of one person work, uh, you know, one month of one person doing work of 3,600 goats. Yep. Yeah. And he yep. said, so how many, how many jobs are we talking about here? He said, well, if you took the two and a half million goats that we have for dairy purposes and used them for six months out of the year to clear weeds, 347 jobs would be at risk. I know, Ron. But the one thing that did jump out at me at this was the fact that he does allow the man to use a tractor, right? Right. Which, of course, begs Milton Friedman's great insight which is well if it's this is about jobs why don't we just make them use lawnmowers yeah right yeah. <laughs> and manual ones at that yeah right or scissors so, give them scissors yeah. give them scissors or yeah like wow <laughs> or nothing how about you just got to go they just got to go pull it right like the goat so, I think bear was uh he was equating this to the bastiat uh you know candle makers petition Oh, and he yeah. said, so what are we going to do next? Sue the goats? <laughs> yeah. No, might come to that. You know, it's it's just like Uber drivers, Ron. It's uh, they're, they're taking over. I, I don't know what, what, what are, what's going to happen to the taxi drivers when these Uber drivers, who, by the way, are sometimes the same people. But no, no matter there. That doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so forget robots. The goats are coming. <laughs> yeah. So the ghost comes out. We'll make sure to post a link to that article. It's re- it really is very well done, and, and the, the the author has a terrific sense of humor. Absolutely, uh, you know, because he says not only do you know this this threat has two horns, four legs, but it looks adorable in a sweater. I love that line. <laughs> <laughs> Second thing I wanted to deal with that another listener, a regular listener, Hector. Uh, I guess he's been reading my old. He's been reading the Old and the New Testament. So. <laughs> the Professional's Guide to Value Pricing I actually bought, I, I don't know, eBay or something, but and it actually had my old business card in it. 
Um, he actually wow. took a picture of this and posted it online. But he's been reading that. And he's been contrasting it with the New Testament, you know, the Implementing Value Pricing book. And he sent me an email and he said, do you still think that total quality service is the final frontier? Now, I told him, I said, well, that's a loaded question because there's there's meaning behind, there's a backstory, obviously, to all this. But the final frontier is the first book I ever wrote and it never got published. It went through the process. It was read by editorial people at the publishers and they gave it, everybody gave it its green stamp. Everybody loved it. Um, except for the fact, by the way, that I quoted Ariana Huffington in it. No. They did not like that. And, of course, why? Because this was back in the day before she flipped. She was conservative at the time? Yes, ah, she was okay. conservative at the time, and they did not like that. They wanted to remove that. Um, but anyway, th- that book never got published, and I called it The Final Frontier. But I did think back then that The Final Frontier, what I meant by that was it was customer service. It was all about creating a better customer. We didn't even use the term experience back then. In fact, the author that I really enjoyed on this topic was a guy named Carl Albrecht. He called it TQS. Total mm-hmm. quality service, and he did that to differentiate it between that and TQM, which was the whole total quality management movement. And I just started calling it the final frontier. But Hector, no, I don't think it's the final frontier anymore. And it's I, I don't think it's just because of what Pine and Gilmore have written about, you know, beyond service. There's experience economy, and then there's mm-hmm. the transformation economy. And, of course, when we asked Joe Pine if there was something beyond transformation, and he said, well, not in this world. (laughs) Right. But I'm no longer bold enough to try and make predictions about what's the final frontier. But I just wanted to answer Hector's question about that because I I, I thought it was great. And just the the fact that he picked up on that and, you know, the fact that I've changed my mind on trying to make these bold predictions about the next big thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Harkening back to two things. One, the episode that we did on changing one's mind, but then also just earlier in this episode, which is the more you know, the more you learn how ignorant you really are. Right. Exactly. And what you what you don't know. Uh, so, well, this this is my question. So, so is, is the final frontier still around, Ron? Do you still have is, or is it was it in like, you know, an old form of a word processor that you can't get to? anymore? No, I, I, I actually have it. I actually have it. In fact, I think there's even different drafts of it. But yes, I do have it. Uh, and I've inc- I incorporated some of that into the first book, obviously, but but not all of it. It was really focused on customer experience. It contained one chapter uh, on value billing. I'm not. No sure. way! Uh, wow. From from hourly billing to value billing, uh, it shows you how really ignorant I was uh, back when I wrote it. But yeah, it, but I will st- I, I will say this about customer service. I still think it sucks. Uh, on average. Like on average. Well, on, average. Uh, on average or mean. So this is the thing I've been getting into to, or, or median. I'm, um, I, I'm more into thinking about things not in terms of average anymore, right? Which is the mean, but the mm. median. The median, yeah. Okay. Which uh, just for those of you who are not, you know, I, well, I, I'm not real big into math, but I know a little bit about it. The, the the mean or average is where you add up all of the values and then do, you divide by the total number of values, and therefore then you get some number, which is the average of all of them. The the median 
is what is the value in the middle? So if you have a hundred stacked things, right? What's the, what's the the middle value? And to me, that's more important. I would agree with you that the the middle value that uh, that median is yes, it still sucks, but there is some really good service right now. Really good. There is. I mean, Amazon and and you can certainly pick out you can certainly pick out some companies. But I'm just talking about you know your routine daily existence. Where you go and you encounter different things is, is, I mean, have we really raised customer service to an art? We've spent a lot of money on it, talking about it, and companies pay it a lot of lip, lip service, but I don't know. I'm, Maybe we should talk about that on next week's show, Ron. <laughs> well, we could, that wouldn't be a bad topic to do, but, well, this has been great, Ed. Thanks so much, and and folks, uh, we'll, um, we'll, we'll post all the, the uh all of this on our show notes where you can access it at the soul of enterprise. All right, Ron, I guess I'll see you in 167 hours. Excellent. This has been the soul of enterprise business and the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. 